Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When there is a group of people who are willing to come alongside of each other, be there for each other, provide for each other, sacrifice for each other, meet each other's needs, help each other up when we stumble, is it any wonder that God was working in a situation like that? Sight is a precious gift, and there's so much to see all around us. But there is another kind of sight that is even more valuable than physical sight. Can you guess what it is? The blind men saw the benefit of an agreement in faith. If you and I will have this real faith, if we'll come together in this agreement of faith, if we're willing to take a risk of faith, if we'll be persistent at our faith, we all will see what the blind men saw. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Matthew chapter 9 and the account of Jesus' encounter with two blind men, where we will discover that even though they were physically blind, these two men could see things that others often can't. The fact is, these two guys had entered into this agreement in faith that they were going to do this thing together. They were going to be there for each other. They were going to help each other. They were going to pick each other up when one of them stumbled, which was bound to happen sooner or later. This was literally a case of the blind leading the blind. Now here's Pastor Clay with a message entitled, What Blind Men Can See. Have you guys ever uh, seen one of those kind of visual puzzles that is made up of a bunch of dots? And somebody tells you that, that if you just stare at it, maybe put, maybe put your nose right against it or something. I don't know what it is. But if you just stare at it and just the right way or maybe close your left eye or some, something, some trick to it. But if you just stare at that, then all of a sudden something just appears. And all of a sudden like, it's there. You can see it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever, you ever seen one of those? Have you ever been given one of those or shown one of those? And you couldn't see it, no matter what, I mean, you just like, you could, you know, I've done that, I've done that, I've like, looking at those dots, and I'm staring, I'm staring, I'm staring, and, and finally, I, I just, I, I can't see it, and the guy says, it's right there, I, I've done that before, my wife Cindy accuses me of, of having something that I refer to as refrigerator blindness, do, do y'all know what that is? It, it, it's a condition that only seems to strike the male of the species, uh, but it's, you know, you go to the refrigerator and you're looking for a certain item and, and somehow you can see every single thing in there except the one thing that you're looking for. You know what, you know what I'm saying? And, and, your, and your wife yells at you, that, or I mean yells to you that, uh, it, you know, it's it, it, second shelf down, left hand side, but it's like, it's, it's a mystery. You just, no matter what, you just can't, you can't see it. And of course, real blindness is a very serious condition. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encounters two blind men. And we're going to spend some time talking about those two blind men today and Jesus' encounter with them and what these blind men could see. Jesus has already had a pretty busy day. If you were to go back and to read it there into chapter 9, he's already had a pretty, pretty busy day. Let's see. He's, uh, he's healed a paralyzed man, made him uh, walk again. He uh, then went and found Matthew, the tax collector, and called him to follow him, be his disciple. From there, he's heading down the road, and he, and he heals a woman who has, the Bible describes, an issue of blood, who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. He uh, heals her, and, um, oh, let's see, oh, yeah, and he raises a little girl back from the dead. I'd say, it's a pretty good day. But he leaves there, and as he leaves there, he encounters these two blind men. And what we're going to see is that 
Although these two guys may have been blind, they could see a lot more clearly than a lot of people can. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, hard copy, electronic copy, iPad, phone, whatever, open it to Matthew chapter 9. Of course, the text is up on the screen as well. We're going to read it together and we're going we're to see, hopefully, by the time we get done today, we're going to see what the blind men saw. Matthew chapter 9, just a few verses, uh, verse uh, 27 is where we'll be starting today. All right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, uh, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. Father, today as we dive into just a, really a small section of your word, I'm praying that your truth would just uh, jump out, jump off the pages into our hearts and into our lives. There's no way for me to know exactly everything that's going on in every single person's heart and life right now in this room, or those who might watch or listen. But I have lived long enough, experienced enough in this world to know that there's stuff going on. There's heartache, there's hurt, there's betrayal, there's disappointment, there's sadness, there's joy, there's success, there's failure, there's uh, health problems, there's a million things. So today, help us to see what you would have us to see, that we could leave here applying to our lives, leave here saying, man, it was good to worship the Lord, and it was good to open His Word, and it was good to gain knowledge that I can apply to my life. That would be my prayer always, uh, Father God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Matthew chapter 9, 27 to 31, let's, let's see what the blind men could see. We're going to start with this idea this morning. The blind men saw the benefit of an agreement in faith. That's, that's the first thing I want you to notice, is that they saw the, the benefit of an agreement in faith. There in the very first part of verse 27, I read just a moment ago, you may notice that it said, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. Now blindness was a, and you probably know this if you read the, much of the Bible, you know that blindness was a pretty common occurrence uh, back then, uh, particularly in that uh, part of the world. It seemed like there were a lot of blind people back then. Now, part of the reason for the blindness, some people have speculated, was because <clears throat> perhaps hygiene practices weren't as good back then as they are today, and that may have had something to do with it. Some have speculated about, you know, that region of the world, there's so much sand, so much dust that's always in the air, that that perhaps could contribute uh, to blindness. Uh, some people have pointed to the fact that, that people didn't have any protection for their eyes back then sunglasses and things like that and the, and the brilliance of the sun that they were always exposed to as farmers and shepherds and fishermen always in the bright sunlight that that somehow may have contribute contributed to blindness as well and of course any and all of those things could have played some part in these blind men's condition but for all we know they could have been blind from birth we really don't know, but the point is, and what I, what I want you to see as we're starting today, is that there were two blind men. And so, the fact is, these two guys had entered into this agreement in faith that they were going to do this thing together. 
This was literally a case of the blind leading the blind. They were going to be there for each other. They were going to help each other. They were going to pick each other up when one of them stumbled, which was bound to happen sooner or later. They were going to encourage each other. They were going to, they were going to help each other and do whatever they had to do, but they were going to do it together. It is this agreement in faith. And how vital, important that is. What a beautiful picture of what God intends the body of Christ to be. A group of people all in the same condition, sinners saved by grace, coming together, being there for each other, leaning on each other, helping each other up when we stumble because we will, encouraging one another, sacrificing for one another, doing whatever we have to do for the benefit of the other. It's this agreement in faith. You know, we, we don't live far from the NASCAR mecca of the world, Charlotte, North Carolina, right? You can't hardly live in North Carolina and not know something or follow NASCAR in some way, right? People yelling, yeah, well. But if you ever follow NASCAR, you can say racing in general, but if you ever follow NASCAR, you will see this, this agreement principle at work. When, when, a, when a car pulls into the pits, all of the pit crew scramble over the wall. All of them working toward a single goal. Now they have different responsibilities, different activities, different things that they have to do. But all of them that are there are there, they are working together and they're working for the same goal. And that is to get to the winner's circle. To achieve their, their goal. It's this agreement. And in our case, what I'm talking about for the church is this agreement in faith. In Acts chapter uh, 2 we find this. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Is there any wonder that God was adding to their number day by day? When there is a group of people who are willing to come alongside of each other, be there for each other, provide for each other, sacrifice for each other, meet each other's needs, help each other up when we stumble, is it any wonder that God was working in a situation like that? And I'm here to tell you that God is still, will still work in situations like that. When, when people come together in this agreement of faith, saying, yes, we... we, we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. We're committed our lives to Him. We are together in this. Uh, you might have this background. I might have this that background. You might be this age. I might that age. I, I might make this much. You might make that much. I might have this education. You have that education. You might be this color. I might, might be that color. But all of us coming together in this agreement in faith to accomplish what God would desire for us to accomplish. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing when it happens that way. I know, I know that our announcement last week shocked everybody i know it caught everybody by surprise caught everybody off guard i i I know that but i I want you to know that cindy and i are doing absolutely what we believe god is leading us to do for this church yes the the church that is the door is open and god has asked us to go down there i I believe that we can have an impact to make a difference there but i want you to understand that that i really believe And, and i'm asking you as a church to come together in an agreement in faith And say, if God is in this thing, then God is going to work. And God is going to do great things. And we can come together and encourage each other and walk alongside each other and pick each other up when we stumble. And be there for each other through all of this process 
to the glory of God and for the building of his kingdom because that's ultimately what it's about. These two blind men saw the value, what, what, what they, they could see this agreement in faith. I'm asking you to see the same thing. Here's the second thing that they saw. The blind men saw the value of a risk of faith. Yeah, good. There's a risk in faith and they saw the value in it. The, again, there in verse 27, particularly the latter part, it says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, you may not know it, but these two blind guys have just stuck their neck out. When they, when they made this pronouncement, they've just stuck their neck out. You see, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, tells us that the Messiah, when he would come, Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, tells us that the Messiah, and Messiah is just the, the, the Hebrew equivalent of Christ in Greek, Savior in, in English, it's, just, it's all the same thing, that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, said that one of, the things you'll, one of the ways you'll be able to know that the Messiah, who the Messiah is, is he will be a descendant of King David. And so, through the years, this phrase, son of David, had come to be associated with the Messiah. It had come to be known as, as what's called a messianic title. In other words, it was, it was a phrase, son of David, that is exclusively for the Messiah. So when these two blind guys shout out, have mercy on us, son of David, they are declaring their belief that this Jesus of Nazareth was the one true Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. And that's what they were declaring. And it was a risk to do that. There's risk of, of ridicule. There's, there's risk of, of laughter. There's, there's risk perhaps even of persecution and being accused of blasphemy because they were un, unabashed, unashamed, out loud, have mercy on us, son of David. You see, that, that's, what, that's what faith calls for. It calls for times to take a risk. Years ago, uh, when we were doing student ministry in Tennessee, uh, the church where we were serving uh, brought in an evangelist for a week uh, and uh, did, did a revival. The guy's name was Joe Mobley. You know, and he was like your typical stereotype, three-piece pinstripe suit kind of slick back hair evangelist kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? He, he, had, he, he, he fit the bill. And one of the things I remember about Joe is that whenever he preached, he always wear, wore red socks. Always red socks. And, and, he, and he told us that the reason he always wore red socks was because when he surrendered to ministry, God's call for him to, to preach the gospel, that, uh, that afterwards an elderly lady uh, who was part of his, member of his church, uh, where he grew up, came up to him and handed him a pair of red socks and said, Joe, I'm giving you these red socks to always remind you to to, to preach and, and plead the blood of Jesus Christ when, when you preach. And so he said ever since, and he always put on these red socks. When he's getting ready to preach, he'd wear these red socks. And uh, one day, Joe and I were out uh, visiting during the week. We were visiting some, you know, church members, inviting people, hey, come out for the revival, going to have a good time, uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, we stopped for lunch at McDonald's. And I don't remember if, if I just, you know, asked Joe if I could say the blessing or if he asked me if I could say the blessing. But I said a blessing over our Big Mac, large fry, and Coke. That was pre-diet days. But uh, anyway, uh, a- after I prayed, Joe said, uh, Brother Clay, let me tell you about uh, not long ago, I was at a church and doing a revival, and I was out visiting with the pastor of that church, and uh, uh, we, uh, we stopped for lunch at some local diner. And he said it was real crowded in there in that diner. It was real, real crowded, a lot of people in there. And the pastor looked at me and said, well, 
well, Brother, Brother Mobley, it's, it's, it's kind of crowded in here and everything. And so if you don't mind, we'll, we'll just say our blessing, uh, each of us, to ourselves. And uh, Joe Mobley said, well, whatever floats your boat, brother. And uh, so he said the pastor, you know, bowed his head and kind of began to pray silently to himself. And you just had to know this guy. But, so, but Joe Mobley begins praying out loud, really out loud. Lord, I don't know why this your servant is so ashamed of your name. But I want to thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. And I want to plead the blood of Jesus over this entire... I mean, he just goes on, he just preaches the sermon right, right in his prayer. I have no idea how the rest of that week went with that, <laughs> with that, with that pastor. But the point is... Faith requires a risk. And I'm not just talking about saying a blessing over your meal, okay? <laughs> now, by the way, if there's any place I need to pray over a meal, it's when I'm out at a restaurant, because I, I, I know my wife has fixed it when I'm at home. I don't know who's fixed that food and when I'm out somewhere. I really want to pray over that food, but, but I'm not just talking about praying over your meal. What, what I'm saying is, is that everything that we do in life, if we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, everything that we do in life is built on and based upon this willingness to do it by faith. And that takes a risk sometimes. To make all of my decisions, to make my moral choices, to, to the way I treat my spouse, the, what I do with my money, uh, how I act in the workplace, uh, uh, all of that, I'm called to do that by faith. And, and let's face it, to do that in the church, no, no problem, right? But to do it out there in the world, in a world that has largely rejected the, the authority of God and rejected the authority of His Word, to to walk by faith, to make decisions in your life by faith, to treat people in a way that God would have you treat them, to be, to be willing to give and, and forgive and sacrifice and all the things that we, that we're, the stuff that we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, to do that takes risk because you don't know how people react. You don't know whether you could be laughed at or made fun of or, or perhaps even lose your job. I've known, I've known people even here in America have lost their job because of their willingness to take a stand and live by faith. By the way, can I just mention this? Did, did you notice that they cried out, have mercy on us, son of David, before he had ever done anything for them? Because I'm telling you right now, it's easy to call him your savior. It's easy to call him your deliverer. It's easier to call him whatever you want to call him. It's easy to do that after he's done some great work in your life. But to do it while you're still in the dark? Some of you may, may feel at times in your life like you're just, just in the dark. Are you still willing to take a risk and say, but God, I, you're my Savior, you're on the throne, you're working, you're going to accomplish your purposes. I'm not sure what, how this is going to go or what I should do, but I'm going to trust you and keep walking and keep doing it. It's this, it's this risk of faith that we're called to do. These two guys are willing to take a risk of faith. I'm asking you the same thing. Are you willing to take a risk of faith? As a church, corporately, sure, but even in your individual lives, day by day to say, God, I'm going to do life the way you say in your word I should do life. It's a risk. But I want you to also hear me say before I move on that, that built into that risk, when we're faithful to the risk, to take the risk, is great reward. Is great, great reward. And I'm not just talking about in the pie in the sky by and by kind of thing. I wonder, will we have pie in heaven? I don't know. I, just, I hope so. I don't know where that comes from. Pie in the sky by and by. But I'm not just talking about there. Talking about even in this life, even in the midst of the junk that goes on in life, to, to know his peace, to know his comfort, to know, to know his, his joy, even in the midst of pain and suffering and, and heartache. That's possible. But it's only possible if I'm willing to take a risk of faith. Here's the third. Uh, well, yeah, let me give you this. Let me say this first. I, I should say this. Because I want you to understand, it is a risk, but this is the call on our lives, okay? This is the call on our lives. 
Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed. I'm, I'm willing to stand up for this. And as time, we know historically as time went on, that became a greater and greater risk for several hundred years there for, the, for, for somebody to, to be willing to do that. That's, but that's the call. So let me say this to you and then we'll move on. Where's that place in your life where you draw the line? Where's that place where you say, no, no, God, that, uh, uh, that, that's, this is as far as I go right here. God, no, you're asking me, mm, you're asking me to do this? You, you, God, I can't, I, I mean, where's that place that you draw the line? Because I'm here to say to you, from, per, from years of personal experience, not that I get it right all the time, but I'm here to say to you that until you come to the place where you're willing to lay it all down and risk it all for him, you will never know the freedom that those two blind men knew that day, the value of a risk of faith. And here's the third one. The blind men saw the importance faith there's an agreement in faith yep there's a risk of faith there's also something this idea of persistence in our faith in verse 28 it says this look at it now when he entered the house the blind men came up to him and jesus said to them do you believe that i am able to do this and they said to him yes lord now here's what's interesting about verse 28 verse 27 indicates that they first approached Jesus or called out to Jesus out on the road. After he left the, the, the house of the little girl that he raised from the dead, he started down the road and it was out on the road that the two blind men, you know, I'm sure they hear the crowd, I'm sure they're gathering, hey, hey, the Jesus of Nazareth is coming. But it's out on the road, that's what verse 27 says, it's out on the road that they first cry out to him, have mercy on us, son of David. And, and here's, the, here's the thing about it. Based on what happens in verse 27, and then based on what we read in verse 28, they come to him in the house. Apparently, Jesus completely ignores them out on the road. Apparently, Jesus just keeps on walking. I don't know if this is how Jesus walked, but however he walked, Jesus keeps right on walking. Have mercy on us, son of David. Yeah, cool. Keeps on walking. Keep on walking. But I'm going to tell, tell you this, and I realize this is, this is my baptized imagination, but in my baptized imagination, I absolutely believe that there's a little smirk on Jesus' face. As they're crying, have mercy on us, son of David. I just can't help but believe it's just a little bit of grin on Jesus' face. Because here's what Jesus knows. If these men really believe that he is who they have just declared that he is, if they really believe that he's the son of David, if they really believe that he's the Messiah, the Savior, the one who can work powerfully in their life, if they really believe that, then they will not let the crowd, they will not let any closed door or even Jesus seeming Uh, unwillingness to engage with them his seeming uh, uninterest in their pleas they will not even let that there's nothing going to stop them if they really believe that this guy is the messiah the savior they will not let anything it's you see what i'm saying it's persistence in their faith have mercy on us son of david somebody in the crowd well forget it dude he just kept on walking oh no he didn't no he didn't and there he goes, and they, they're going right after him, right? Helping each other, picking each other up, making sure nobody throws off, and going right through the door. I don't know if they had to knock, get, I don't know why, I don't know, but I just know that there's persistence in their faith. And that's what you and I have to have every day in our lives, this persistence, persistence, persistence. Because, I don't know if you guys have noticed this lately, but life is hard. Life is hard. If you have had children, you've raised children, if you're in the process of raising children, when those children are infants you know infant to slash toddler moving in that direction and they begin they come to that place where they begin to pull themselves up on the couch or the coffee table or you know what i'm talking about right 
And you know, you know what's coming. You've read the books. They're, 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 they're going to try and walk. Getting ready to walk. So, so what does a loving parent, and that's what any loving parent do. A loving parent goes over there and, and gets down beside them on the, uh, on, on the couch and you know, says, okay, I, I'm here for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Okay, this is fantastic. You're, you're a great stander. No, that's, that's, that's not what a loving parent does, is it? A loving parent gets up, walks away, says, come on. Come on. Come on, you can do it. Come on, come here. Come on. And you know what happens, Right? Face plant. Pow! And a loving parent runs over and picks him up. Oh my goodness. And dusts him off. He says, I will never let that happen to you again. I'm going to stay right here with you. You're going to be the best stander in the history of the world. I'm going to stay right here with you. No, you don't. that's not what you do. You get up and you walk away again. You say, come on. Come on. You can do it, Clay. You can do it, Linda. Come on. You can do it, Kimberly. You can do it. That's what a loving parent does. Right? A loving parent puts us in situations where we have to be persistent at, 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 what, at the goal we're trying to achieve. In this case, it's to walk. Because that child will never walk unless somebody is willing to, to, to force them to be persistent at it. And what I'm saying to you, in our lives sometimes, we just feel like God's walked away. He just kept on walking, just like those two blind men. He just kept on walking. God, I, do I need to talk louder? Did you not hear me? Do you not understand what's going on in my life? And God's over there saying, come on, come on, you can do it. Yeah, you're going to face planet, but I'll pick you up and I'll dust you off and I'll walk away again. And I'll walk away again and again and again as many times as I have to to get you to the place where you can not only walk, but you can run in your faith. That's what he's, that's what he's calling us to do, to be persistent at this thing. Because there are times in our life, when, come on, let's just be honest. When you say, it's not, this whole Jesus thing, I'm not even sure this is even worth it. I, I keep talking to him, and I don't see a lot happening in my life. I don't, I don't see a lot of change going on. But here's the truth that you can know, that God is there. God is never far from you. Yes, he may have walked away, but it's because he loves you, and he's trying to get you to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. He's saying, come on, come on. And even as a church, he's saying, come on. You can do this, cross-culture church. You can do this. Get up. Walk. See what I'm going to do. See what I'm going to teach you through this process. Persistence in your faith. That's what God is calling each of us to. And I want to encourage you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Be persistent. Be persistent at this body that is cross-culture church. And to say, man, this is what God has called us to. We will be persistent in this. We will stay at this. And we'll see what God will do. Because God must be in this. God must be working to accomplish his purposes. Can I say this to you today? You have a gifted staff. And you have godly elders and I'm asking you to, to, to come alongside of them in this agreement in faith. I'm asking you to take a risk. I'm asking you to be persistent at it and say, God, we will stay in this thing and we will see what you will accomplish through this thing. And then there's one more. The blind men saw the necessity of real faith, authentic faith. You could see. Let me read it uh, again. Verse 29. Now listen to this. And then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. I don't know that any of us can really blame these guys. Yes, we should be obedient to the Lord. But I don't know that any of us could have kept that. I mean, come on. How do you keep that one? How do you keep that one a secret? Now, don't tell anybody that, you've, that your sight has been... I, I, you know what I'm saying? When that miraculous of a work goes on, I don't, I'm not sure how you 
would keep that. But the reason that Jesus warns them and tells them, don't go out and tell people about this, is because, and sometimes people are shocked to hear this, but Jesus did not come to, to bring physical healing in people's lives. That's not why he came. Now, Jesus performed physical miracles, one, because it was a demonstration that he was the Messiah, because that Messiah was going to have the ability to do that. He was God in the flesh. And two, he did care about people's physical condition. He cared about their physical condition. But Jesus knew that the physical condition was still going to be the same in this broken world, this broken earth. People were still going to die. People were still going to have problems. All that stuff was going to happen. Jesus didn't come just to be a great teacher, although he was. Jesus didn't come just to be a miracle worker, although he was. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And for that to happen, he was going to have to die. He was going to have to be rejected by men and go to a cross and die. Uh, by the way, be it done to you according to your faith, it is not a declaration of the degree of faith that those men had. Okay, I want you to hear what, what I'm saying. In other words, Jesus didn't say, well... Because you had this much faith, you get 2010 vision. If you'd had a little more faith, you'd have gotten 2020 uh, vision. But this is how much you get. Th- that's not what be it done to you according to your faith means. It's basically just a, a declaration of their faith. It, be it done to you because you have faith. Because you believe this thing. That, that's the intent of, of what's going on here. But it, it, is, it is this recognition of what God is working and what God is doing, what God can do, this belief in it, this willingness to stay at it, to all of this stuff that, that, that happens that is, is part of this whole thing that we call faith. We throw it around, especially in church circles, we throw it around willy-nilly, like, but to actually live it, to have real, authentic faith that changes my life. Ken, uh, a guy named Ken Gobb, Ken Gobb in his... Uh, his book, uh, God's Got Your Number. In this book, Ken uh, tells this story that if you did not believe that God was real and that God is on his throne and that God is actively working today, if you did not believe that, then you would find this story absolutely impossible to believe. But Ken Gobb says this is exactly how it happened. Now, Ken Gobb and his family have a, uh, a, a ministry, evangelistic ministry of singing and preaching the gospel. They travel all over the country, all over the world, really, uh, proclaiming the gospel through song and through preaching. That's the ministry that they, that they have and still have up uh, today. Now, I should preface this story by saying this. If you're here and you're under 30 years of age, this is a phone booth, okay? Probably need to say that. You see, way back in the 1980s, everybody didn't have their own uh, cell phone, their own phone that they carried around everywhere. We didn't didn't have those things way back in the 1980s. People didn't have a a, a mobile phone that that they carried around. Your phones were actually, your phone was mounted on a wall. I, I, I know, it's crazy, it's insane. But your phone was mounted on a wall. And you, you just had to stand right there at the wall. Unless you got one of them real stretchy cord things that let you go into the living room or something. But it was, it was mounted on your wall. And, and that's how you had to talk to people. And, and when you left the house, if you had some urgent call or some need that you had to call somebody, you had to pull off the road. You had to stop. You had to get out of your car and you had to find one of these. I know it, it sounds like the Stone Age, but, but somehow civilization survived this archaic time period. You had to put money into this to this thing and then you could only talk for a certain amount of time depending on how much money you you had so it better be a pretty important call so anyway 
Ken Gobb and his family are doing ministry. And they're, 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 they've been at one place, they're going to another place. They're driving down I-75, heading to their next uh, revival thing that they're going to do. They're just, they're just driving down I-75. They're somewhere near Dayton, Ohio. And the family decides to pull off the interstate to get something to eat. And so they pull off at an at a exit ramp. Uh, they go to a, wherever it was they were going to eat. And Ken said as, as they pulled in, he suddenly felt this need to stretch his legs. And so he, he said uh, to his wife, uh, uh, Betty, I think, now I can't remember her name for sure. But he said to her, you know, take the kids on inside. Go ahead and order. You know what I want. And, and I'll be along in a few minutes. I just, I just need to walk a little bit. And so they go in, and, and he just starts walking down the street, this random exit off I-75. He just starts walking down the street. And he says, quite honestly, he said, I was just kind of struggling. He, he said, I love the Lord, and I love my ministry, but he said, it's a long time on the road, and there's a, there's a cost to doing all that, you know, just the wear and tear on you physically and emotionally and mentally and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I, I, honestly, I just began to question, it. is it really worth all this? And this is just random thoughts as he's walking down the road. Is it really worth all that? And he said, to tell you the truth, I was honestly just kind of depressed, just kind of in the dumps about life, and, and, and is this really is this really what it ought to be? Is it really worth all this? And he's walking down the road, and he's just consumed in his thought. But as he's walking down the street, at some point, uh, Ken Gobb becomes aware of a telephone that he begins to hear ringing off somewhere nearby. And, and, he, and he's just, he, he's hearing this, this phone, but he's also thinking about his thoughts. And, and, then he, and the phone continues to ring, and it just continues to ring. And it just continues to ring. And, he, and he thinks, is, isn't, is somebody going to get that phone? Somebody answer that phone? And he realizes that the phone... Is, is a phone booth across the street at the corner on a gas station. And everybody at the gas station seems oblivious to the phone ringing. Nobody seems to be paying attention. And, 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 and so finally, curiosity gets the best of Ken Gobb, and he goes across the street, and he goes to the phone booth, and he picks up the phone, and he says, Hello? And an operator says, Long-distance call for Mr. Ken Gobb. Now remember, they're traveling down I-75, somewhere near Dayton, Ohio, and they just randomly pull off an exit. And he just goes for a walk, and he's walking down the street, and the phone booth is ringing. Ken says his eyes get as big as saucers, and, and the first words out he does, his first words out of his mouth are, "You're crazy!" And then he suddenly realizes he probably shouldn't talk to an operator like that, and and he says, "I, I, I I'm sorry. I, I was just walking down the street, and this phone was ringing in the phone booth, and I just, I just answered it." The operator says, "Well, is Mr. Ken Gobb there? I have a long distance phone call for him." And he's trying to process, you know, what would you do in that? I mean, you're trying to process, what? What? He's trying to process this, and, and he's saying, he's like, ma'am, you, you don't understand. I was just walking down the street. I, I don't even live here. I just pulled off the exit with my family, and they're getting something to eat, and I was just walking down the street, and I just heard a phone ringing, and, and the operator speaks up again, this time maybe a little more force, forcibly, and she says, sir, I have a long-distance call from Mr. Ken Gobb. Is he there? So finally, you know, he kind of pulls together, and he says, well, yes, yes, I I'm here, I, I'm, I'm Ken Gobb. And about the same time, he hears this other voice on the line say, uh, that, that's him, operator, that's Ken Gobb. And so, uh, he begins the, this conversation with a lady named Millie. He didn't know Millie, never heard of Millie, but Millie called, and Millie began to share her story with Ken. She said, you don't, you don't know me, I, I live in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, I, I'm just going to... I'm just going to pour it all out here. I, I am, I'm going through a hard time. I've been contemplating suicide, and I wrote out a suicide note. And as I, as I was writing that suicide note, I began to just talk to God. I don't, even, I don't even know that he's even there, but I began to talk to God and say, God, I, I, don't, I don't want to do this. And she said, suddenly I, I thought of you. I, and she had seen Ken Gobb on TV one night at some 
someplace where he was speaking, he was on TV, and she seen him, and, and she, she had this thought. She thought, man, if, if I could just talk to Ken Gobb, maybe, maybe he could help me in, in this situation. But I, I had no idea. How do, I don't even know where Ken Gobb is. How do I get a hold of Ken, Ken Gobb? And she said, these random numbers just popped into my head. And then she thought, wouldn't it be amazing if God was giving me a miracle and giving me Ken Gobb's phone number? She said, so I, I, just, I, just, I just punched in those numbers. And, 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 and clearly, I, I, I've gotten you. Are, are you in your office in, in uh, California? And he's like, well, ma'am, I, I don't have an office in California first. He said, my office is in Yakima, Washington. And I'm not there either. I'm in a phone booth near Dayton, Ohio. And she's, you know, she seems, you know, phone booth, what are you doing there? And he says, I was just walking down the street and the phone was ringing and I, I answered it. And, and, you know, at some point you're absorbing that this is a God thing. And so he enters in this conversation with her and gets to talk to her. And he said, the Spirit of God so flooded, I can't explain it, but the Spirit of God so flooded that phone booth that, that, that words and comfort came out of me that there's no way it's possibly come out of me. And he said, before the conversation was over, Millie had invited Jesus Christ to come into her life to be her Lord and Savior, to meet the one who really could change her life and they got off the phone you know you just, what would you feel like? I mean, he's just electric and he's like he goes running back to the restaurant and he's running to the restaurant and he suddenly before he goes in he, he stops and he thinks whoa wait a minute they never gonna believe this one who is go, who is gonna believe this what what if they don't what if they don't believe it but he just he just can't hold it. he goes running inside and he says Betty you're not gonna believe it God knows where I am <laughs> ladies and gentlemen God knows exactly where you are right now at this. He knows exactly what is going on. He knows exactly what your needs are. He knows exactly what your hurts, your questions, your uncertainty. He knows exactly where you are. I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. If, if God is a God big enough out of all the millions of phones that existed, even back in the 1980s, and the mil- millions upon millions of combinations of numbers that that would be the number to this phone booth if God can orchestrate those circumstances so that he can put Ken Gobb on that street and that phone booth at that moment when Millie precisely needed him so desperately then do you think God is big enough to meet you exactly where you are exactly in your need right now he is he's able to meet call upon your life is to have real to really believe that he is able to do can I say this to you volumes have been written about what it means to have faith in Jesus or to believe in Jesus. But can I tell you this, that it really comes down to a simple two-word answer that those two blind men gave. Jesus asked them in verse 27, do you believe I'm able to do this? They replied, yes. In the confusion, in the uncertainty, in the struggles, in the hardships, yes, Lord. In the doubts, in the fears, in the uncertainty, yes, Lord. When, when everything is falling apart or breaking up or breaking down or, or whatever, all, and it's just craziness to be able to say, yes, Lord, I believe. No matter what, I believe that you are able to accomplish your purpose. I, God, I don't have a clue what you're going to do or how you're going to do it, but I believe that you are the God who knows exactly where I am and exactly what my circumstances are, and you're able to do exactly what you know is best for this situation. So God, I may hate it, I may not like it, I may be stressed out about it, my, 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 my finances may be in tatters, my marriage may be struggling, my uh, diagnosis may be uncertain, all, all, all the stuff that life can bring to us. If in the midst of all that we can say, but God... Yes, Lord, I'll believe you. I'll go with you. That's real faith. Listen, you know this. Maybe you've read it before. The writer of 
The book of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 11, that, uh, that without faith it is impossible to please God. He actually calls us to operate in this thing called faith. Can I tell you how many times I've failed God at that point? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many times I'm quite certain that I, God has been unpleased with, 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 with my life because I've been unwilling to believe him? Romans chapter 14, whatever is not from faith is sin. That's pretty bold. That's what he says, that, that I have to operate in this thing called faith. And one more. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things we hope for, the certainty of things we cannot see. You may not see your way out of it. You may not see what's happening. You may see, even in this church thing, you may not see what God is going to do. And I I sure wasn't thinking that that Cindy and Clay would be leaving. I I didn't know this was going to happen. You may not be able to see any of it. But that is what faith is. To be able to say, yes, Lord, you're in it. You'll accomplish your purposes. If you and I will have this real faith if we'll come together in this agreement of faith, if we're willing to take a risk of faith, if we'll be persistent at our faith, and I'm telling you, in all the stuff that life is, we all will see what the blind men saw. Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder of the importance of seeing through the eyes of faith. All of us experience times when what we see with our physical eyes causes us to question what God is doing or if He really cares about our situation. But through the eyes of faith, we can see clearly that God is working even when we can't see it. Spiritual eyes are what we need for whatever comes our way in life. Sight that is based on our faith in Jesus Christ, that's what allows us to see clearly. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed.
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.